Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. That is the voice of Bill Sutton. I am Brendan O'Reilly filling in for Annette Hinkle this week. Bill, how are you doing? I'm I'm good, Brendan. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And I am the deputy managing editor of the Express News Group. Uh, we're a little light on editors today, but we have with us the mayor of Southampton Village, Jesse Warren. Jesse, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. I uh, was always looking forward to being on the uh, 27 East podcast. Uh, I remember talking to Joe Shaw uh, a year or two ago and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, talking about a podcast and he said it was coming. So uh, it's great to be here with you guys. And thanks for having me. We're glad to finally have you on. Yeah, it's been uh, close to two years for the podcast now and picked up some steam since those early days. I think we know what we're doing now. I don't know. What do you think, Bill? I, I think we manage, uh, we manage to get one done every week and that's a good thing. <laughs> so the reason we invited Mayor Warren, aka Jesse, on the podcast this week is because uh, there's a lot going on in Southampton Village, Southampton Fest in Southampton Village, formerly known as September Fest. But the other big news in Southampton Village is the comprehensive master plan, the first village-wide master plan in 20 years or so, is getting close to adoption. So we're going to chat with Jesse for a bit about that, and then we'll shift gears and we'll talk about what to expect at Southampton Fest. So Jesse... How far along are we on the master plan? How much time is there left for village residents and other interested parties to give their feedback? Well, a few things. Just just to uh, jump in here, uh, Southampton Fest actually starts on uh, on September 30th. Just so uh, everyone is aware of the dates, but we'll get to uh, get to that later when Nancy uh, Kane, if she can join us. But uh, back to your question, of, as far as you know, can residents still um, have input? Uh, the answer is. We did close out our final uh, public hearing, but we did have a long uh, process. Uh, the process started uh, with a community engagement. Uh, it had a, a first uh, public hearing at the cultural center. Uh, we had our final public hearing. We have uh, essentially done our, our CICRA review, which was a negative declaration. But if it, it really goes back to uh, the first public workshop on October 27th, 2021, uh, there was 60 attendees there. The second public workshop was on March 25th, 2022. We had over 100 attendees. Uh, we actually did a public survey um, last fall uh, to which uh, we had uh, 259 respondents, 82% uh, were village residents. And then we had an ideas ideas wall where there was 104 uh, open-ended comments. So we did get a lot of input. Um, if residents still would like right. to uh, include their opinions, uh, feel free to email myself as well as our planners at uh, BFJ. And uh, it's uh, it's never too late until we adopt, but we are really at the eleventh uh, hour now. Jesse, how can people reach you by email? Just jwarren at uh, southamptonvillage.org, and uh, we could always uh, send over uh, BFJ's email addresses uh, to the uh, to Twenty Seven East for publication as well. So, so um, give us a little, a few of the highlights of 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 the master plan. I know that 
that transportation is a big topic, both both in you know adding some bike lanes and and a bike route to to beaches, but also um, you've taken a, a stand that you want to you want to help control some of the the congestion that that runs through the village. How are we hoping to, to address both of those things? And then um, you know what are some of the other highlights? All right, well, I'm glad you brought that up because just before this podcast, we actually had a meeting uh, with many uh, residents um, on uh, on certain streets that border border Hill Street and and traffic, as we learned, and clearly it's obvious through our comprehensive master plan, is one of the most important issues, if not the most important issue right now. Uh, so one thing which you know may not even be included in the comprehensive master plan, but has been included in some of subsequent, uh, traffic studies, which were encouraged by the comp plan, is that uh, first we're, as as we know, we're blinking the light on St. Andrew's yellow, which actually has sped up some of the traffic. But anyone who drives down Hill Street, uh, you still see there's a lot of congestion, especially uh, right after uh, the church, uh, right around Einstein's uh, gas station. And we think that a part of the reason for that is you had a lot, you have a lot of what we call, you know, the one for ones where cars are going down Hill Street, and then a car is coming out of Lee Avenue, or cars are going Hill Street, cars coming out of Somerset. So one thing that we're actually going to be doing at our upcoming uh, Tuesday meeting is uh, be, a, be doing a, a pilot program where we actually have no right turns on uh, on Somerset Avenue from 3 to 7 p.m., uh, Monday mm. through Friday, no left turns on Lee Avenue, uh, and actually on, uh, on Captain's Neck, uh, 3 to 7. Uh, we're going to make sure it's well-staffed with traffic control officers and police officers, uh, another thing that we're uh, we're going to be doing is we're going to be having a three-way uh, stop sign uh, right on uh, McGee and Somerset, which there's a lot of uh, traffic that builds up. And what we want to avoid is we want to avoid uh, a backlog of cars that are coming on uh, Counter Road 39, entering into the village through ways or as a shortcut. So traffic is an extremely important issue. That's just one part of town. We've got other traffic calming measures, uh, both to reduce the number of cars as well as to reduce speeding during certain times. So that is a big portion of the comprehensive master plan as far as uh, traffic, parking, mobility around the village. Uh, and then, of course, the comprehensive master plan also looks at, you know, development. It looks at land use and zoning. You know, it looks at the uh, the downtown. It looks at uh, open space, uh, clean, uh, you know, clean water, the environment, uh, and then future land use and planning. And um, I said we have Nancy here as well. I know Nancy's probably more excited about talking about Southampton Fest than she is about planning and zoning. Um, that's just my guess, but you never know, actually. I don't know anything about planning and zoning, but I do know about Southampton Fest. So, Nancy, what is your role in Southampton? Hi. So I was very honored to be asked by the village to organize it this year. And um, so I'm kind of like the point of contact for all the different various elements that we have going on uh, this this year, this season, and this is the the this will be the tenth Southampton Fest. Is that is that correct? It's a milestone. I knew we guys we took a couple of years off, as a lot of a lot of people did for for the uh, for the pandemic. But this is uh, this is a big one, right? That's right. It is a big one. I think Nancy might have uh, frozen there, but it is a big one. And then for those people who uh, residents don't know Nancy, Nancy's a longstanding. Uh, village resident with a lot of ties uh, to the village, and she's also an outstanding publicist and uh, and marketing uh, person who who's done everything across her career. So uh, she's she's really has a uh, phenomenal 
uh, background. She's also working on Canoe Place In, which is a completely new podcast, uh, not worth we're going to cover today. But but she has a great uh, a great background in uh, in PR marketing and and uh, event planning. So what is on tap? I understand that it kicks off Friday with with the Rotary Club event. I've been to that event on past years. It's a nice cocktail party in Agawam Park under a tent. Is that still the plan this year? Yep, exactly. It's they have the band Coverland performing, and they'll also have a DJ. And from six thirty to eight thirty, your ticket admission gets you open bar for beer and wine. And then from eight thirty to nine thirty, it's a cash bar. But it's wow. really so much fun. You always see people you know and meet new friends, and it's just um, it's a great way to kick off the weekend for sure. And then heading into Saturday and Sunday how much is going on? Like we, we have so many different institutions in our village between the cultural center, the art center, the Southampton history museum, are all of these institutions involved in some capacity? Yes. I mean, we were so, we got such a great rate from great response from all of our institutions. So for example, the history museum will be doing a spooky spirits tour. The art center has an Amazing! I was literally Ooh. blown away. A little sneak preview of a new exhibit exhibit opening October 1st called A Celebration of Trees. And this is a not-to-be-missed exhibit. There's three curators, one of which is a good friend of mine, Daniela Kronemeyer. And she um, gave me like a little sneak peek at some of the artists. One is a guy who lives in South Carolina, and um, his name is Freeman Vines, and he makes guitars from lynching trees. He turns a horrific act of, of taking the trees where lynchings happened and turns them into guitars. And she's got six guitars on exhibit on October 1st. And there's even a musician named Tom Wall who's going to perform at three and at six. And he sings to trees and get this, they sing back. I don't know how it happens. I just know I'm going. Um, but it's it's a really unique and that's interactive awesome. um, exhibit. Yeah, that's happening there. And then the Cultural Center has their big annual gala, Rose uh, Wine and Roses, that night. That is a ticketed event. The others are are, are free. And um, and we were so lucky that Peter the Peter Marino Art Foundation came on board as not just a sponsor, but they're getting involved in something new this year, which is an art and design crawl. And we're going to, um, just to get people into the many galleries and art institutions we have in the village, it will be a little crawl that you take, you know, when you go to each one and you'll get your, you'll get your card stamped at each design or art store or museum or gallery. And then you can enter that, that completed ticket to win some really great prizes like the Southampton Art Center is donating a year membership and other other mm. participants will have prizes added to like a big grand prize too so that's kind of an exciting and new addition but we'll have traditional you know favorites like uh, the maniac pumpkin carvers Gene Casey and the Lone Sharks, the Next Level Band there'll be like salsa instruction and the popular chowder contest so it's a mix of, of old traditions that we love and some new new things too. The chowder contest is pretty popular. It's my favorite, I think. And the Maniac Pumpkin Carvers, they've been doing this it's seemingly forever. I think they were they might have been there in the first year, if not the first year, pretty soon they joined. And these are guys that really turn what you would think of as a jack-o'-lantern into 
really arty, creative things. I couldn't even describe it and do it justice. You would have to go look at some of the photographs, look up Maniac Pumpkin Carvers either on their own website or mm -hmm. 27 East's past photos from past September Fest or Southampton Fests. It's really quite amazing what they do. Yeah, it's, it's super great. And we were very lucky, too, to have 40 pumpkins donated by Hank's Pumpkin Town. So shout out to Hank's for donating the pumpkins that the maniacs will carve. So, so uh, Mayor Warren, what is it? What does it mean for the village to have this uh, event every year? And to, I'm sure it brings people in from uh, from all sides, and it, it gives you an opportunity to to showcase the you know the village and and what's going on in the village. Well, this is going to be a great event. And by the way, I think uh, we also should mention that from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. we have the children's face painting as well at Agawam Park. So we're yeah. going to have just so many events for all ages of all interests. Uh, and this is just something that, you know, continues uh, the excitement, you know, throughout the fall. We had a really busy summer in our downtown. We had, uh, you know, businesses were, you know, said so they, they did very well. Um, and so we want to continue on with all the great momentum that we had from the summer to keep the, uh, the village lively and fun. So I think uh, I think it's going to be well, uh, well attended. And uh, we're looking forward to all of the events. So I think it's great for the great for the village to have a fun uh, Southampton Fest and just to have so many great events and activations and activities going on throughout the weekend. And three performances at different times, either at Southampton Arts Center or at Agawam Park, Jester Jim. What would you describe Jester Jim as? Is I, I mean, he's a juggler, right? He's, he's kind of a comedian. He's a kid's entertainer, but I'm sure the adults get a big kick out of it as well. Exactly. Yeah, he's there really is something for everyone and every age. And Jester Jim is one of those performers that kind of crossed an age gap. The adults love him as much as the kids do. So yeah, he'll start off a show at the steps of the Art Center and then he'll make his way down to Agawam Park. I'm sure he'll be juggling along the way and entertaining kids along the way. And then he'll do two more shows on the main stage there. And we'll announce the Chowder contest winner, too, right before the last band, which is Gene Casey mm. and the Lone Sharks. And the day kicks off on the stage with the Next Level band. So, so Mayor Warren, I, I, I imagine this started it was 12, 12 years ago, right, with the two, two skipped years as, as an effort to try to, you know, expand into the shoulder season in, into the fall. And I, I think that while that's really important, I, I think maybe... You know, the, the, the makeup of, of the East and the South Fork has changed a little bit over that time. And there's less of a shoulder season because the season just has extended on and on. But it's still an effort to keep the village thriving, to keep local businesses excited and, and keep people, you know, walking, walking along the main streets and visiting local businesses while, you know, while all this is, is going on. Is, I mean, is that is that fair that the kind of I don't I don't know that we do we still use the word shoulder season or or is it just kind of a season that extends now into the holidays? I don't know if we still use the uh, word shoulder season. This is actually the first time I've heard anyone say it. So you, you might be oh, okay. able to tell me more than I could tell you. But um, but I, I do think that this year is going to be a little bit more like 2019. I think that if you asked any business owner on Tumbleweed Tuesday, it did actually feel like a Tumbleweed Tuesday year. But yeah. just from looking outside Village Hall, 
I think everyone's back. So it seems like more people are coming, you know, out to Southampton and the East End. Uh, but we did feel a little bit more like 2019 this year. Obviously, go back to 2020, 2021. You know, Tumbleweed Tuesday was busier than July Fourth weekend. So, uh, you know, right. things that things are going a little bit back to uh, back to normal. But but still, we're we're seeing a uh, influx uh, of people or or people that have just moved out here um, full time. So I, I think it'll be a nice, uh, again, a nice event and, uh, you know, events from 11 a.m. right down to uh, uh, 10 p.m. So it'll be action packed. And I think uh, residents, tourists, day trippers, visitors, uh, everybody across the board will like it. And I think we'll have a good uh, good attendance from uh, people throughout, uh, not just the village, but but the town and outside as well. I was just going to throw in that Sunday, while there's not like a whole slate of activities, we still have our, our very popular Southampton Chamber of Commerce uh, Farmers and Artisans Market in the park, and the Southampton Artists Association, who will have booths and art on Saturday, will be back on Sunday. So it really is a robust weekend. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. Carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. You're listening to the 27 Speaks podcast. I'm Brendan O'Reilly, Deputy Managing Editor of the Express News Group. And with me is Bill Sutton. Hi, Bill. Hey, Brendan. Bill is the managing editor of the Express News Group. And our guests this week include Mayor Jesse Warren. Hello again, Jesse. Hello, Brendan and Bill. Thanks for having me here today. And Nancy Kane. Hi again, Nancy. Hi, guys. Well, just to finish off, I think what Nancy was saying, uh, Sunday will be a great opportunity for uh, everyone to experience the uh, Southampton uh, Farmer's Market, as well as uh, look at uh, some of the really great artwork by the Southampton Art Association. It's a great local group of artists. Uh, sometimes people don't get to see them enough, but between the Farmer's Market and the Southampton Art Association, it'll be a nice day on Sunday as well. And uh, I haven't uh, really been to a Farmer's Market this year. Uh, it's been so busy. So now that things have quieted down a little bit, I think it's a great opportunity to really um, check out some of the uh, the art, the wares, food, and uh, other products at the Farmer's Market. We've got a really good one here. Um, a lot of people don't realize how good the uh, Southampton uh, Village Farmer's Market is. So speaking of the shoulder season and and whether Tumbleweed Tuesday is still a thing anymore, looking at the draft of the Village Comprehensive Master Plan, there's survey results in here where they asked residents, visitors, business owners, people who work in the village, a number of questions. And one of them was, do you spend more time in Southampton than you did pre-COVID? 57% say about the same. Close to 32% say I spend more time in Southampton. A little more than 10% says, yes, I've moved out here. That's great. The people who say I spend less time in Southampton since the pandemic started was less than 1%. 
Wow. Jesse, uh, being that the pandemic changed the East End in so many ways, and yes, maybe we're seeing things getting a little more normal uh, as the pandemic wanes, how did that factor into making this comprehensive master plan where things got very different very quickly right around the same time that the comprehensive master plan uh, came into the picture to map out the village's future? It's a really good question. I think one of the more positive things about this was that with more people uh, spending more time out here, uh, 32%, um, as you pointed out, said they're spending more time. Um, it was actually an opportunity for more people to participate. So the more people that are spending more time here, uh, there's more participation in local government. There's uh, There was a lot of interest in the comprehensive master plan. Um, and so uh, some of the issues that that we believe were important were, were magnified. And I think that was obviously shown here in the uh, in the comp plan. And it also uh, expressed some of those needs. We talked about, you know, parking and mobility, bike lanes, things like that. It was, you know, people are enjoying the outdoors. They're enjoying moving around the village and they're enjoying, you know, really uh, the, the beautiful beaches and parks that we have here. So accessibility to those areas was really important. So I, I think it did actually help us during this whole process that there were more people here and more people participating. The census figures for the village are really interesting too, because, you know, I, I don't know how much the pandemic inflated these figures for the census, but 1990, the village population under 4,000, 2,000, still under 4,000. It actually shrunk by uh, 15 people. 2010, 3,109. And then you go to 2020, and it went up to 4,550. That was a 46.3% increase in village population in 10 years. And as we saw in the previous decades, that kind of growth was unheard of. It's funny because, you know, prior to being mayor, I was in the planning commission. And one of the biggest concerns we had was the declining population. So now that trend is reversed. I would actually say uh, that 2020 census, as you pointed out, Brendan said, there was over 4,000 residents. I'm not even sure that that captures, you know, some of the, um, you know, half-time or part-time uh, residents who are living here. I, I would, I would actually venture to guess. You know, my educated guess would be there's significantly more than 4,000 people uh, here. Uh, you know, maybe that changes, you know, come January, February. Uh, but right now, through through Christmas time, I think those numbers are are actually even lower than than what we're actually experiencing. Once the comprehensive master plan is adopted, what will village residents begin to see? Will there be legislation immediately that comes of this? Or how long does this really take to roll out? Another really good question. There's some legislation that we can amend or create immediately. There's other legislation that will take some more time. I mean, I really sometimes, you know, wish sometimes these comprehensive master plans, you know, some of them say further study is needed. And, and, and that is the case, uh, for example. We are, it does say further study is needed for an arts and culture district. Um, and that's something that we're going to ask for. We're looking at the movie theater, for example. We want to make sure it remains a movie theater. Uh, and it might make sense to create an arts and culture district. So it, it uh, what we would like to do with BFJ is to have them do a much smaller uh, sub study uh, regarding what a arts and culture uh, overlay district might look like something more simple like bike lanes, that's something that we've already been working with uh, Gary Gillespie, who actually just retired yesterday, as well as Corey Sweezy, who runs our highway department, and Steve Phillips, who's the acting head of DPW. Uh, we're already talking to the companies that do the marking 
And it's our hope that uh, at some point in October, you'll start to see some of those bike lanes uh, go, into, go into place. Uh, you don't really need a, a local law uh, to, to add bike lanes. You kind of just need to uh, have the highway department uh, work with some of our contractors to add them. Um, as it comes to some of the zoning uh, recommendations, uh, those will obviously take public hearings. Some may be more uh, obvious to do than others, uh, but there's, uh, there's some zoning changes that this might recommend. It could take a little bit further study, but one thing that I really pushed for, and I wish this was actually included further in the comp plan, was that to consider the Hampton Road uh, Office District uh, to also allow for multifamily zoning. Uh, what I always say is we definitely don't want to see you know, more single-family McMansions, but what we do want to see is the opportunity for two-family, three-family, maybe even some four-family homes in a village, which is a way for people who work in the village to actually be able to rent something that might be uh, more uh, more affordable. Um, so I, uh, looking at the, the MF20 districts was an important part of this comprehensive master plan and really important uh, for me. Uh, so that's something that's, uh, that we can maybe in, uh, create uh, sooner than later. Something that's going to take more study again uh, is the hospital site. That's another big uh, issue with something that the village has been looking at for a few years now. However, I don't personally see the hospital uh, moving out anytime soon. So I do think we have a little more time than uh, one might realize as far as how to plan and zone uh, the uh, the hospital. Right now it's zoned hospital. So clearly that's gonna have to change. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of uh, community members who have some type of stake in that uh, and wanna see certain things. Again, uh, the hospital would like to maximize their value, but we're working closely with the hospital and their planners to make sure we come up with something that's good for the village, but that also uh, allows the hospital to uh, have a successful move. But I, again, I don't see them moving out of town so quickly. Um, fundraising for the hospital, uh, as as is of course fundraising for anything, is challenging. But that's that's what we've uh, we've heard. You know, I think as far as water quality, which I'm very passionate about, I think it just really reiterates what we're already doing. Uh, earlier this week, we went in front of the town uh, water quality improvement uh, CPF, uh, you know, uh, board, which is also the town board and the village had requested CPF funds for over uh, $10 million worth of projects. Some large projects such as the dredging of Old Town Pond and some smaller projects uh, such as uh, adding uh, bioswales and a permanent reactive barrier to Lake Agalom. This is all in the comprehensive master plan as things we're already doing. So it, it really, um, you know, you know, we talk about the windmill, um, you know, that uh, we're working with uh, Fred Thiel and CMAX Sammy and, and Porter Bibb to uh, make a replica of. Uh, there's a nice rendering in the comprehensive master plan as what a windmill might look like if it goes back onto Nugent Street and Windmill Lane. It could be a nice node um, and a good uh, attention point in the village. So there's there's a lot in here. Uh, for is, is, is that is that going to happen, Mayor? Or, or, or I mean, I know the, the state has been kind of clutching onto that that windmill uh, quite a bit and I know that you've been very interested in in getting it back where does where does where does that stand is it is it a little bit of a backdoor battle or or uh, or, or do you think they're going to let it go at some point uh, well I, I can tell you here's what's not going to happen we're not going to be able to move the windmill from Stony Brook over to Southampton due to a variety of reasons cost being the secondary reason but the fact that you do have some uh, alumni of of Southampton Stony Brook who really love that windmill um, right. I don't think that is a winning battle. But what is a winning battle uh, is actually getting some money from the private sector and from the state in order to build a replica. And CMAX uh -huh. has already come up with designs for that. And we've already spoken to uh, State Assembly person Fred Thiel, who's excited about helping us secure some state funds. 
I will say that people look at the windmill in Sag Harbor and they say, wow, what a great historic windmill. But actually, it's it's not. not. It's built in 1960s, as you know. So uh, maybe 100 years from now, (laughs) this windmill, a replica could be historic. But uh, for right now, I think it would be a nice node and a great uh, uh, addition. That's a a win-win for everybody, right? Right. I I joked around with with the selling person, Theo, and I said, if you help us secure some money uh, for the, uh, the the replica, which everyone thinks is a good idea, we'll stop bothering you about moving the, uh, the window over. Well, there you go. I bet he liked that. <laughs> I think everyone liked that. Hi, this is Ellen Duogardi. I'm the director of events for the Express News Group. I'm also the president of the Sag Harbor Chamber of Commerce. Community really matters to all of us at this company. I know it's a good part of why I'm here. We've hosted more than 50 of our Express Sessions events in Southampton, East Hampton, and Sag Harbor, focusing on issues that matter most to residents of the East End. We bring the most important government and community leaders and topic experts together in one room, and we often find answers to complicated questions, and we grow stronger together. This all takes staff time and company resources, but it's our job, and I'm happy to say we really love our work. But we can't do it without our subscribers. If this kind of community work is important to you, you can support it by becoming a subscriber. To subscribe, visit 27east.com slash subscribe, and thank you. For those who don't know, the windmill that is on the Stony Brook Southampton campus and has been there for some time was moved to that location from Windmill Lane in Southampton Village. Which is why Windmill Lane is called Windmill Lane. We could do a whole podcast on that windmill, but I hesitate to spend too much time in that one topic. Um, speaking of the arts district that you mentioned earlier, and I know there's there's been discussions about having an arts district for some time. I think they mentioned having an arts district back when they did the comprehensive master plan that was specific to the business district which was more recent than the village-wide master plan, which is over 20 years old now, they never formalized it. And I wonder what is the value in formalizing an arts district rather than just saying, well, here's a map of all of our arts institutions. Is there some kind of an overlay or legislation that needs to be done? And what does it accomplish if you do that? Another really good good question. It accomplishes a number of things. Uh, First, the majority of of that portion of of Hill Street that could be part of this overlay district, it's zoned VB and and VB zoning is is actually quite uh, generous. There's uh, limited to no setbacks, for example, so you can build one building next to another. Uh, but what it also does, it it allows and encourages uh, arts and cultural institutions um, to open up um, business there. So, for example, uh, if if uh, somebody wanted to uh, basically uh, purchase the movie theater or the property across the street. Uh, there's nothing in our code or zoning uh, that allows it from, uh, you know, preventing it from being a supermarket or from being a pharmacy. Uh, those those uses are all allowed in the in the VB district. So we want to encourage uh, art institutions and other institutions. Again, we're just gonna we're just at the infancy of kind of formulating what this district should should look like, but it's a suggestion for further study in the comprehensive master plan. We just want to encourage the right businesses and the right types of buildings in this overlay district. Um, and we also want to discourage other uses. Again, I don't, I don't think that uh, the village, for example, needs another uh, pharmacy. We've already got two, so it, it's, it'd be a travesty uh, to see what might happen in Hampton Bays if that uh, movie theater becomes a CVS, for example. Uh, we want to avoid that, and you know, we want to work with the tools uh, that we have. And I think it was fortunate that uh, 18 months ago, that when we started working on the comprehensive master plan. 
that suggestion made it in there um, because it allows us to move forward with that. If we just decided, you know, out of the blue that we wanted to, uh, you know, do an arts and culture district, we might face uh, further criticisms. But the fact that this was a due to community input and planner input, I think that helps us uh, moving forward. Well, it's it's such a, a big part of of the village's identity, right? I mean, arts and arts and culture and in the village and, and has been for a long time. And I imagine the motivation is just to kind of to to build on that and 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 to keep that that spirit alive in the village. And again, that brings people to the village to experience cultural events and, and arts and all that. And and you certainly want that to remain part of the village identity, I would think. Absolutely. And and it will be further be enhanced. Again, the sewer is a long way down the road. Uh, but we are making good strides on that. But once we do have a sewer system in place, it will further enhance uh, some of the uses um, that we currently can't uh, can't have. You know, anything that requires a significant amount of wet use, whether it be a uh, theater, whether it be a, a restaurant, a bar, nightlife, uh, hotels for that matter, things like that. Those those type of uses we just can't have right now in our village downtown. And uh, I think once we have a sewer in place. Uh, and again, that could be seven to 10 years out, but we you know, have a map and plan done. We have a parcel of land that we are uh, considering um, making an acquisition of, and uh, we're, we're moving in the right direction. And I'm, I'm actually very happy about that. And the irony is that uh, in 2019, when I first took office, or if you even go back to the Express Sessions interview for 2019, I remember Joe Shaw asking a question, are you in support of a sewer or not? Uh, or do you prefer IA systems or something else? Mm. And that was actually a real conversation. Do you want to sewer or do you not want to sewer? Now, that's no longer the question. Three years later, the question is, how fast can we have a sewer? Right. Uh, no one's debating uh, you know, whether we need one or not. So that sewer district, Jesse, it's going to have implications on wet uses you mentioned, which includes restaurants, which getting more restaurants into the village, I think, is something people have been talking about for a long time. And the only thing holding the village back is those sewers, but it also has residential implications. And specifically, I am wondering about affordable housing in the village. Are there opportunities to provide affordable housing within the village so the village can remain staffed year-round? Our schools, our police departments, our, our shops, our restaurants all struggle to find employees. Is the village going to be part of finding a solution? I think so. I think the sewer will unlock the ability to have a workforce and affordable housing in some bigger numbers. Uh, you know, for example, um, everyone always likes to talk about um, apartments above stores. That's great. That's something we can do, but we can move well beyond that. Mm. Um, we've always spoken about, you know, Newton Street as a great street uh, to actually have some of that uh, multifamily use. Uh, in my opinion, uh, that's where workforce and affordable housing belongs. It belongs in the downtown where people like to uh, congregate. It's also close to the business district. Uh, and there's there's just a number of parcels that uh, either are vacant or or have new new owners there. There's a lot of space on Newton Street, um, and there's a lot of vacancies on uh, on Newton Street that would make a perfect uh, opportunity. And and on top of that, if you move over uh, closer to um, you know uh, Stop and Shop, there's also uh, some vacant parcels attached to Newton Street, kind of in the back of Nugent. Uh, and there's there's other opportunities as well. So you you'll be able to actually have our downtown have. Uh, more housing, and then we can potentially either uh, partner with a developer or work on zoning that might actually have uh, better uh, uh, housing implications in the downtown. I think that a lot of people would like to uh, to see some housing there. And again, if uh, there's an opportunity to get some outside funds from the public sector to build, great. 
but just by having a sewer and by uh, changing uh, zoning, uh, we can actually let the uh, the private sector get involved and have them help us with the uh, with the multifamily workforce and affordable housing. Sure, and hopefully there's some. Um, if the CHF passes in November, then then maybe there's some uh, institutional money um, as as well for for that, and it makes the village a little more walkable, right? That's right, and that's something that. We, we would love to improve uh, walkability. Again, nothing's going to happen overnight, but if you, again, going back to the comprehensive master plan, there's definitely, um, it talks about micro-mobility and walkability, and those are key trends that uh, we're seeing across the board in 2022. Um, so uh, walkability is uh, is key. So there's so much in the master plan, and we could probably talk about it for all day if we wanted to, but before we let you go, Jesse, are there any other highlights uh, from the master plan that we haven't mentioned that we should that we should make sure people are aware about? I think we covered uh, a whole lot, uh, ranging again from uh, zoning and planning uh, to uh, bikeability, walkability, and micromobility to the preservation of uh, open space and uh, green space to creating uh, overlay districts. You know, we didn't touch upon uh, you know climate change and sustainability, but that's also Obviously, a, a small portion of the uh, of the master plan combined with parks, recreation, open space. But I think we covered a whole lot here. As you said, we can spend uh, all day uh, talking about it. But I think we had a good, good, uh, good coverage of uh, of the master plan here at a, at a high level. Well, maybe we can do another podcast in in the future as um, as things progress, as some of those plans come to fruition. Absolutely. And how about we get one more plug in for Southampton Fest, Jesse? What are those dates again? All right. So the dates here are it starts Friday, September 30th at 6.30 p.m. to 9.30 p.m. That's the Southampton Rotary Kickoff Party in Agawam Park. It's a ticketed event, but you can go to SouthamptonRotary.org. Once you're there, you've got a a beer and wine bar and other uh, other fun things. A lot of great people will be there. Then on Saturday, October 1st, from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., we've got a full day of events, you know, starting at 11 a.m. with children's face painting. Uh, we've got an art and design crawl throughout the village. Uh, we've got the Maniac Pumpkins Carvers all day. We've got the Chowder uh, Contest there. We've got the Southampton Artists Association. Uh, we've got your favorite performer, Brendan, a jester, Jim, uh, <laughs> uh, right at uh, uh, Guam Park, except at the Southampton Art Center. Nancy, sorry, I'm stealing your thunder because you did a great job covering this, but we've got the uh, the announcement of the Chowder Fest contest winner at 3.30. We've got Gene Casey and the Lone Sharks from 4 o'clock to 5.30. We've got the Southampton Cultural Center Gala, which is another great event. You can go online to www.scc-arts.org to go purchase a ticket there. And then we've got an amazing event uh, put on by the Southampton Art Center and Danielle Cronemeyer from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. called A Celebration of Trees with live music from Tom Wall. Uh, and then on Sunday, October 22nd, we've got a artist association, Artists in the Park, and the Southampton uh, Chamber of Commerce is presenting the Farmer's Market. And then if I can keep on going here, first, I just wanted to thank 27 East for being our media sponsor. You guys have done a great job helping us get the word out, having advertisements in the paper, also helping us right here in this uh, podcast. And then I'll give a special thank you to the local organizations who have helped put this event on, which includes the Southampton Cultural Center, the Peter Marino Art Foundation, the Southampton Art Center, the Southampton African American Museum, the Rotary Club, the Southampton Chamber of Commerce, the Art Association, the Southampton History Museum, the Friends of the Rogers Morrill Library, and generous sponsors, Douglas Elliman, Topiaire Flower Shop, Stevenson's Toys and Games, 
Sea Green Designs, the Southampton Association, WLNG Radio, hopefully that's not a competitor of this podcast, and Herrick Hardware, all who did a great job. And then thanks again to our outstanding uh, event director here, Nancy Kane, who's done a lot of great work. So those are all who's helped so far, but we've got more people that might be also stepping up to the plate to help us further. So hopefully that wasn't too long, but right. that is a, hopefully a good rundown of the Southampton Fest. And we Fantastic. love WLNG, so no worries there. <laughs> Thank you so much again, Jesse, for being here and for Nancy for telling us all about Southampton Fest. We're very excited that it's back after taking a pandemic break and for hearing all about the comprehensive master plan. As Mayor Jesse Warren mentioned, you could email him at jwarren at southamptonvillage.org if you have any other thoughts on the master plan before they formally adopt it in its final version. Thank you. I would also recommend that uh, the 2070s podcast has Nancy Kane on the podcast more often uh, she's way more fun than I am. Uh, it's actually a really fun podcast with her here. If you just have me and other people on, it's just extremely dry talking about overlay districts. But Nancy is very fun and right. uh, probably makes the podcast more uh, listenable. Uh, we would love to, we would love to have both of you back for future podcasts. Thank you. Remind everybody to head out to uh, to Southampton Fest. It's always a great time. It's going to be a great time this year. And, and just a really, really fun event for everybody. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. We will be back in your, your podcast feed next Thursday. Take it easy, everybody. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts. 